0: Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lamumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party.
1: All right, here we are. Um, my name is Derek Harrell. Uh, I am a person, first and foremost. Uh, I teach at University of Mississippi, uh, in African-American studies and English. Uh, I am here with five fantastic, wonderful poets who are not only wonderful poets, but more importantly, uh, and more, uh, uh selfishly friends of mine, uh, wish, wish, uh, we could meet in person. Um, but obviously that's not the case, but we hopefully will make it feel like we're together, um. And I have great like anecdotes with every single one of you that are here, and um, I, I wish I could just tell those stories and and listen to poetry poetry from y'all for uh, the next few hours until the wee hours of the of the morning. But uh, we are on a time schedule, so this is uh, the twenty uh, twenty one Mississippi Book Festival. I want to thank Ellen Daniels for uh, making sure this happened virtually. Um, again, like I. Stated that I regret that we couldn't be in person, but at least we are going to hear some fine poetry from these fine poets. And uh, the poets that we are with today is uh, Captain Pierce, uh, Adam Clay, Richard Boeda, Sandra Beasley, and Ashley Jones. Uh, each poet will read uh, a little bit of their work, and then I will ask each poet one. Very, very monumental, life-changing, important question about about their work. No, I'm kidding. Uh, First, first reader, it's Richard Boya, a an amazing friend of mine. I want to say first, and a person that I've um, had many wonderful uh, uh, times with, and meals with, and um, thoughts, shared thoughts with. Uh, And I'm I'm appreciative of your friendship, brother. Richard is uh, author of three collections of poetry. Um, We find each other in the darkness, which was Texas Review Press. The era of nostalgia, which is also Texas Review Press. Uh, And i don't know why I just blanked on this word. Archipelago. Archipelago. Can you say that for me, Richard? I'm blanking right now. Archipelago. Archipelago. Can you tell me what that means? Like a cluster
2: of islands, essentially, like uh, like the Galapagos Islands, or
1: uh, like most most recent, like the Faroe Islands. Yeah, I've never seen that word ever. Um, and so I learned something already. Uh, archipelago sinking. Finishing line press. I haven't read that book either. Is that old? Old, old. So. And they still had Archipelago that were sinking. <laughs> I know. Never... <laughs> uh, he's been a finalist for the Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters Poetry Book Prize and is a recipient of a Mississippi Arts Commission Poetry Fellowship. His poems appear in the Southern Poetry Anthology, Urban Voices, 51 Poets, 51 Poems, Crab Orchard Review, Rhino, Third Coast, and the North American uh, Review, among others. He teaches for the West Virginia Wesleyan College Low Residency, MFA Program, and Lane College. Richard, please bless us with your work, brother. Derek, thank you so much, so much. Um,
2: miss you, man. You know, I'm so glad to see you. So glad to see everybody, really. Um, what a delight. Um, I'm going to just jump, jump right in. Mississippi, Mississippi. The gravity of the tropics retreats from the hemisphere's ghosts, toughened mountain chevrons, condors, and a desert of clouds. I decline the river's invitation to exile and shrink into mercy. I've lived in Mississippi a long time. I don't live there now, but, uh, love, love Mississippi. Um, But I I was born in Ecuador, and my family is from Ecuador, my my mother's side of the family in particular. And I'm working on a new collection of poems, mostly about my mom's side of the family. So my mom, Fabiola, my grandmother, uh, Teresa, my great-grandmother, Isabel. And this poem uh, is about another woman named Transito. Um, And uh, this is... This is a true, true story. Tránsito. Having abandoned the child to her servant, Tránsito, with orders to drown the baby in the river, the wife of Aurelio, the man who raped the condemned child's mother, my great-grandmother, lived a long, shivering life in the finca outside of Cuenca, A small village in the foothills of the Andes, just where the last remaining permafrost from the glaciers would enter the swampy valley and form glaciers, and form rivers, so cold and delicious. In those waters, my grandmother should have died, and with her generations of children, that she would someday remember with the solemnity of someone who owes her life to a woman servant of Inca lineage who spoke Quechua, who would die in childbirth, and whose bravery against domestic obligations brought me into this calamity. Mississippi Winter Crows. I'm trying to harness the arrangement of the cosmos and the new republic of distant light that will unlatch you from this murder of Mississippi crows drinking leaded city water in the parking lot of the Metro Center Mall, a monument to infidelity and palimpsests so fragile. I keep trying to see you against the tundra cement, a gravity of cosmos, belching pink sunlight. But instead, I miss your hands and the absence of their pressure like prints engraved forever on my bosom. No one belongs here more than you. You've been told about knife fights with ghosts and church bells that would remind people to drink water on fearlessly hot days. You knew this town as a younger man with a new lover and the darkness of Mississippi highways with Bruins observing the burning fields. You've been double crossed and now must brace yourself to drink again from the pattern of the levee, a wasting away of slicking clay, a return that threatens to undo you all over. Night shift. My wife comes home from her night shift as a nurse at the hospital that's named after the county in southern Mississippi where we live, Forrest General Hospital, named after Nathan Bedford Forrest, the Confederate general who massacred hundreds of Black Union soldiers at Fort Pillow, ordered to shoot and murder them after the garrison surrendered. I can see the men kneeling in the magma of blood that hungered toward the relief of the Mississippi River, murdered in flames that charred the earth and trees. And there's George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Forest County, named after a constancy of violence And I know my wife has been struggling to heal and I'm not teaching this summer. So I'm awake at eight in the morning and I have been awake since she left for work and I'm home to drink beer with her like a minor would at the end of night. And for the first time in years, she tells me about herself. Her mother died when she was seven. She would sleep in her father's bed would reach for him and some kind of mumbling as if she could in that moment become a woman who her mother would never see and see herself pointing up at the dead exactly like the way I have been looking at my lover who has never quite been. I Post-Soviet nocturne. I've seen Trotsky in Mexico City drinking grape Fanta through a wide straw. He sips the soda from a plastic sandwich bag secured with thin wire. He holds the bag like a child with hands cupped waiting for communion. The soda sloshes in the pouch and in his belly. I've seen Trotsky smuggle himself into a basilica crowded with tourists. Inside, frescoes on damp walls. He scoots his semi-circular eyeglasses up and peers deep into the hind legs of the ass that carries Jesus into Jerusalem. I've seen Trotsky examine the mules on the street. They neigh and huff through wet and cavernous noses, click on cobblestones with iron shoes. Trotsky's history unfolds there in the mules' joints, where he looks for the 21st century, for Manhattan, for Sylvia Beach, for a bookstore window to climb through.
1: Thank you, Richard. Our next reader, Sandra Beasley, who is the um no, I'm not gonna do the end, we'd we'll be here all night. Um wonderful friend, <laughs> right? Um, but also the author of uh, three collections of poetry including I Was the Jukebox, one of the Bernard Women Poets Prize, selected by Joy Harjo, and one memoir. Uh, She's the recipient of a fellowship from the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts, and lives in Washington, D.C. And when she's in Oxford, you can catch her on the balcony of City Grocery. Sandra Beasley. (laughs)
3: And some other spots, yeah. Um, And I'm delighted to keep company, uh, particularly, this is just an incredible lineup of poets. Uh, Derek, your friendship is dear to me. Um, I'm gonna, so I'll just read uh, a quartet of poems from actually my fourth collection. Woo-hoo, times have changed. Uh, And uh, um, what I'll say simply in introduction is that I, at this point, have lived half my life in Virginia, uh, mostly in the suburbs of Northern Virginia, which if you're familiar, is a very distinct culture and and half my life in DC, uh, including at the moment in Southwest. And so this collection as a whole is in many ways navigating beltway culture, uh, affiliations with Virginia and the South, but also DC. um, And through the lens of not only considering race, but also uh, military, um, as the daughter of of someone who retired as a army general, uh, which had a lot to do with where we were and, and why we were here as long as we were. And that keys into this particular opening poem called Elephant, uh, which picks up uh, in a suburban strip mall stretch of uh, Vienna, Virginia, Tyson's Corner, if we want to get specific. Elephant On the Route 7 strip, next to the office supply store, next to the pool supply store, next to the Tower Records, next to the TJ Maxx, the Ranger surplus lurked, where I shopped only at the edges. Iron-on patches, all-weather lighters, vintage plate pinups, never venturing into the groin of camouflage and camping gear until I began buying weapons, including a mace, a chained flail, several throwing stars, and the book, Contemporary Surveillance Techniques, with its cover art showing a man crouched in a stereo speaker, all gifts for my father. Because what do you get the man who has everything and by everything I mean a large caliber shell casing upright and decorative in the living room where you might expect the potted ficus to be and these two were the years he gave me t-shirt after t-shirt souvenirs of every posting and deployment including the one that said hard rock cafe Baghdad closed Kuwait now reopening t-shirts that fit poorly over my new breasts boxy unflattering so and so I shut them away in drawers again and again each of us trying to say to the other I see you the way a blindfolded man takes the tail into his hands believing from this he can see the whole elephant. One bridge, in a sense, between my uh, Virginia and D.C. Um, selves is the uh, figure of Thomas Jefferson. You see that face I made there? Uh, I went to a, t- a high school dedicated to Thomas Jefferson. I went to a university founded by Thomas Jefferson, uh, and I it took me too long to realize that Thomas Jefferson was not uh, the simple and admirable founding father I had been taught he should be. This is part of a series. I'm going to read two poems from the series that are dedicated to the monuments and memorials of Washington, D.C. Jefferson, Midnight. In another version of the story, he's a naturalist who dabbled in politics. He reinvented the plow. He joined the American Philosophical Society's Bone Committee, and while trying to prove the great Western lion, gave us our first giant sloth. He shipped a rotting moose to France to demonstrate the greatness of our mammals. He is the father of paleontology, who didn't believe extinction was part of God's plan. He asked Lewis and Clark, should they encounter the mammoth to capture one? For months, his seawall has been sinking, the Potomac's mud flats sucking at support timbers of the memorial. In 1918, and for six summers after, the tidal basin was chlorinated so this bank could become a beach, whites only. Spiders who are drawn to rising heat populate the ceilings of Jefferson's memorial. Once the sun sets, the temperature drops, they lose their grip and fall. Bodies bounce off my shoulders. Bodies land in my hair. Guards call this the spider rain. Einstein Midnight. This is one that a lot of people don't know, uh, but if you you grow up in the area, you know it. It's this great figure of Einstein off the National Mall. The memorial shape is cumulative, clay on clay. His brow wrinkles, his sweater sags, toes flex gently in open sandals. What you see is his 1953 face combined with an imagined body mass is the presence of energy an object's resistance to anything other than what it is already doing yes you may sit on albert's lap look past your feet those 2700 studs map what we knew of a particular day's sky did you know he patented a refrigerator with no moving parts his fridge collaborator was the one who asked him to co-sign the letter that said, it may become popular possible to set up a nuclear chain reaction in a large mass of uranium. Later, he'd say that if he'd known Germans would fail, he'd have never urged Americans to succeed. When he applied for clearance on the Manhattan Project, our army refused. Now an artist works until his figure, the memorial figure is shrouded in pink, purple, and teal. Yarn bombing, we call this. Anything in the right hands can be made to explode. And finally, just one little little guy, um, I've been fortunate to quite often live within view of of sites here. There's a a height restriction on the buildings in DC so that you see the Capitol from an unusual number of vantage points. This felt particularly eerie in January of 2021. Little love poem. The 6 a.m. sun considers everything humming its way past the capital. I reheat yesterday's coffee, put lima beans into a pot, Ford hook, always Ford hook, drizzle of olive oil, pinch of salt, shake of chili flakes. The chicken broth comes to boil for a minute before I cover, simmer. Soon he'll wake, and I'll ask him to put a record on something with no words, bowls, spoons a single twist of pepper. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Sandra. It was wild to hear you read the last line of the Made to Explode poem. And it just, the title of the collection just jumped right out at me. Um, Thank you. Uh, Next reader is my friend Adam Clay um, met in Oxford years ago when um, you and Ada Lemon were on a book tour, I believe, at the time. Uh, Adam Clay was born and raised in Mississippi. He's the author of four books of poems. His most recent collection, To Make Room for the Sea, was published by Milkweed Editions in 2020. His poems have appeared in Plowshares, Denver Quarterly, Tin House, Bennington Review, Georgia Review, Boston Review, Iowa Review, and elsewhere. He is the recipient of a fellowship from the Mississippi Arts Commission. Uh, He directs the Center for Writers at the University of Southern Mississippi, where he also teaches creative writing and edits the Mississippi Review. Adam Clay,
4: Thanks, Derek. So good to see you. Good to be here with all of you tonight, and to read the Mississippi Book Festival. Um, yeah, Mississippi's. Um, I grew up here. Um, went to high school here. Went to college here, and then kind of left and thought I would never come back. And I came back about five years ago, and it's it's good to be here, and it's good to be here, part of this community as well. Um, I'm going to read four poems um, from my book. My book came out right before the pandemic started uh, in March of 2020, so I think. Feels like sometimes reading all of these poems through that lens makes them, I think I'm a pandemic poet, I think is what I'm trying to say. A lot of them sort of feel like they were written before the pandemic, so. Four poems, Blue Screen of Death. Today, I wonder who moved the high steeples of my childhood knowing there's a twist at the end of the answer because the urge to dig deeper is coded somewhere cold within the folds of my past lives. What other animal would teach a computer to be a Buddhist, to design itself right out of existence with so much hubris? The sea somewhere feels gnarled, but not here, not now. Enlightenment might be the only gift we could even give. In our effort, the bricks were set so carefully, we can't see the source or shape of the light. Of course, there's a candle that doesn't go out, but no one knows how to light it. I had to explain to my daughter what a blue screen of death was the other day. She didn't, she'd never heard of that before. I think that dates me a little bit. My students don't know either. They're like, what are you talking about? What is the blue screen of death? Um, speaking of daughter, here's my, of, of my daughter, here's a poem about, about her. Um, and it, and, um, something that happened years ago, it's called Guzzle for a Farewell Transmission. It borrows some lyrics from um, Jason Molina, a songwriter. Guzzle for a Farewell Transmission. The line between public and personal, it depends on the world. I know this poem should be no place for the violent acts of the world. Forgive me. After Sandy Hook, I felt fear curl like a fern in each corner's edge, wondered where we ceased to shape our world. Half the mass in our bodies traveled from outside the galaxy, the other half from our own as if to explain the pull we feel to another world. I think most days of how we will be gone, but not forever. And I write down one memory a day as if an image can contain a changing world. What did the president say to the day which should have no words? I don't know. I turn the radio off, steer left into a static world. How a tree responds to injury, I heard days before. It creates a barrier zone. It does not heal. It seals itself off from the world. My daughter was in the backseat of the car. I saw her face reflecting each atom within me. Life is a fact aligned with our shape of the world. Um, I would say I'm going to read something lighter next, but I don't know if it's light. I always feel like maybe it's going to be lighter and then the poems are not. So this one maybe will be a little bit. Um, It's called When the Whale Becomes the Wave. Within the confines of metaphor, the florist drives the same route to work daily, sunshine melting to perfect flakes of snow. Ultimately, we must manufacture our own importance. Without much guidance, I learned at an early age that time defines most of our words and actions with a range of terrible and calm perfection. The ocean does one thing well. If it were you and I, it would be called stuck. And gravity, too, seems level on the surface, a train married to its parallel tracks. But look deeper. We don't mean to talk to ourselves when we talk to ourselves but no one listens the way we do. If words could be worth more than their meaning, I'd believe color and not just their names were capable of great and greater things. Okay, and I'll close with just a short poem. Um, This feels very much like a a pandemic poem. Um, It's called Domestic Barbarians. A prayer to the void makes more sense than a prayer to the dirty dishes tossed to the trash, the trash tossed to the yard, piles of leaves rising to kill the grass beneath them. Each day's a failure, but failures accumulate into something substantial. I feel most sure of myself when I'm suspicious of myself. Perhaps we're gods among the debris of our living. Thank you.
1: So look, so um, I've been up since like 5.30. I have this eight-year-old that needs to go to school. Had all these, you know, committee meetings all day. Wrote some proposals and then taught a blues class. And I wasn't ready to get punched in the face like y'all doing right now. Thank you, Adam. Like, <laughs> y'all are really bringing it and I appreciate it. Deeply. Um, okay. The next uh, reader is my squad, my team, uh, Ashley Jones. Um, so many superlatives I could say, you know, I'm a, a broken record. Y'all probably over like my little skit before I, I read y'all bios, but I'm not over it. So um, I just have so much love for y'all. Um, Ashley Jones is the poet laureate of Alabama. I'm just going to let that breathe for a second. Um, Ashley Jones is the Poet Laureate of the state of Alabama. She holds an MFA in Poetry from Florida International University. She's the author of Magic City Gospel, Hub City Press 2017, Dark Thing, Pleiades Press 2019, and Reparations Now, Hub City Press 2021. Her poetry has earned several awards, including the Rona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award, the Silver Medal in the Independent Publishers Book Awards, and the Lena Miles Weber Todd Poetry uh, Todd Prize for Poetry, uh, a Literature Fellowship from the Alabama State Council of the Arts, the Lucille Clifton Poetry Prize, and the Lucille Clifton Legacy Award. She was a finalist for the Ruth Lilly Rosenberg Fellowship in 2020. Her poems and essays appear or are forthcoming. At CNN, Poetry, Oxford American, Origins Journal, The Quarry by Split This Rock, Obsidian, and many others. She teaches creative writing at the Alabama School of Fine Arts, which is an amazing, wonderful school. And in the low residency MFA at Converse College, Jones co-directs Penn Birmingham. And she is the founding director of the Magic City Poetry Festival. Recently, she served as a guest editor for Poetry Magazine, and I forgot to mention she's the poet laureate of Alabama, y'all, Ashley Jones.
0: Wow! Thank you, Derek. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to read with all of you and. Um, I'm really still in that huzzle, Adam. I have not left the hustle yet. I know you kept reading, but I'm still there inside that poem. I'm also in that twist of pepper, Sandra. Um, like, I'd like to move forward. I would love to. Um, unfortunately, I can't. So I'm going to read four poems from Reparations Now. Um, and yeah, I guess I'll just get into it. This is Manifest Destiny, which tells the story of America. And so he learned that the land could be called a name, so he called it mine. And so he learned it could be bordered with blood, and so he called it conquest. And he learned that the land was willing to give fruit and flower, and he called it profit. And so he saw some other folk planting and praising, and he called them enemy. And so he saw there were armies to guard those flowering folk and he called them prey. And so he saw the ocean and what was it but a highway to make more borders. And so he saw the bright and peaceful sea and he littered it with trade. The bodies stacked next to the crops, the textiles and the rot of disease. And so he ground hope and God into dust and called it rights. And so he heard the wind blowing joy over its people and he sliced it up with law. And so he kept slicing for 500 years. And so he built his things around him. And so his coffers never emptied. And so he took wives and made children. And so he gave them too a price. And so he saw each blade of grass and counted it as currency. And so his blood was transfused with gold. And so he built a wall around himself to keep his many riches in, the walls encased with bone, even his heart, a fortress of muscle and money. Listen now, your past and future generations. Your hoarded hall will spoil where you stand. All righty. That was one of the last poems I wrote for this book, actually, and it came out of a group text with some other poets. I was mad about the vaccine rollout and some discrimination that I saw happening there, um, and I said in the text thread, this is how everything always is. This is America, you know, and kind of went off and they encouraged me to write a poem and so I wrote that poem um so on the note of anger um this next poem that I'm going to read is one that I wrote after being disinvited from a school appearance um I was doing a coworker a favor she had said she would do this like author fair at a local school and she couldn't make it so she suggested my name she put my name in the hat and I said cool I'll do it I contacted the lady who was running it and she seemed really excited to have me um, to read. And then I said, well, here's my website, you know, just so you can get a feel for my work and, you know, get my bio, blah, blah, blah. And she emails me back and says, Oh, I don't think this is going to work because of um, subject matter. Now I don't know what that really means. Subject matter. Um, I mean, I took it to mean, for one, you did not know that I was a Black person. And for two, you did not know that my poems talk about real things. I guess maybe I'm supposed to only write about flowers. I'm not sure. But it was my first experience ever being uninvited from a place because I- Been there, sis.
1: So been there.
0: Yeah. It's, it's wild. <laughs> it's very wild. It's a weird feeling. Um, and of course, I immediately thought about four mothers, four fathers, like Sister Sonia Sanchez, who- Went through a lot for us to be able to be political and have jobs at the same time. Um, and so I thought, OK, this is not as bad as that. Let me, you know, reel it in. And so I thought to myself, well, maybe I could try to write a poem that's totally non-political. Let me just give that a shot. So this is a poem, which is a Shakespearean sonnet. Until it is not, I think you'll figure out when it isn't. Um, and it's totally non-political, as you will see. Poem in which I am too political to read at your school. A rose, single, silent and soft opens, red petals, tender, innocent, fragrant. What beauty, how holy, peace unbroken in the rose's solid stem. O oh, ancient wonder, rose of unsullied joy, I sing to the majesty of your sun-loved face, your color so pure, petal fine as wing, leaf's thin veins, a natural puzzle of lace. Even your thorns are worthy of my praise. They're spikes but soldiers keeping you from harm. A stab could set my fingers all ablaze, but still your grace would silence all alarm except the rose was black and you killed it black and you silenced it black and you raped it black and it could not vote black and it got in the wrong garden so you had to use pesticide had to poison its water and all the little black rose babies had to stop teaching it to read it was black so you pulled it up by the roots with a knife shaped just like america just like the government just like white jesus just like your mouth leaking, bless your heart. You severed its roots and you chewed them whole and you smiled as it withered, searching for home. Non-political, as I said, totally just very milk toast that poem, Um, no politics. (laughs) Um, So speaking of politics, I'm gonna read a poem um, with Kanye West in it. And um fun actually fact. I used to be real diehard for Kanye um in high school, like I would listen to his albums over and over, and I was like, "Wow, he understands my struggle. Now, obviously, Kanye West and I don't really share much in common except that we are both black, But as like an angsty teen, I was like, "Yes, he gets it, you know." Um, and it was good music. I mean, the music was good. I cannot deny that. I think no one can deny you know that those early Kanye albums were just amazing. Um I have since fallen off the Kanye wagon because Kanye has also fallen off the Kanye wagon. So, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily team Kanye anymore. But um this poem um talks about a memory with my family and with Kanye West. So during this time when I was all team Kanye, um I visited um my cousins in Greensboro, Alabama and um we were we were in my cousin's room and he played um, the album Graduation Day by Kanye West. And since I had been listening to these like over and over and over, I knew all the words to the songs, which was huge for me because I'm a nerd. And, you know, we're always trying to like pretend we're not nerds when we're nerds. And so I knew words to a song. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, I'm finally cool. Um, And so I remember that day. But I also remember that um, at that time, all of our parents were still alive. And um, since then, my my uncle, my cousin's dad passed away. My dad passed away um, this April. And so um, this poem sort of remembers a simpler time um, for us, but also a simpler time for Kanye, a simpler time maybe for the world. And maybe that doesn't even exist because, of course, at this time, someone's parents were dead, even though ours were not. Um, But this is a, a sonnet, and it's called Sonnet with Kanye West and Late Uncle. And it has an epigraph from the song Drive Slow by Kanye West, which reads, Don't rush to get grown, drive slow, homie. Back then, it was as simple as forever. Moms and dads did not die. And Kanye West was who we listened to every day without guilt. Summer was endless and full of cartoons and the sweet wet scent of cereal milk in the morning. I remember that day, all the cousins crammed in Junior's room, listening, almost holding our breaths in the dark of that Hale County house. Graduation day played quietly. There'd be no disturbing the adults who cackled down the hall, strong and invincible, back then all I wanted was to be cool enough to know the lyrics not the chorus but the obscure ones it was simple then the way we swore July would never end too young to fear it we let death or worse time creep up behind us the song bounced on and hid the darker notes tragedy loss last poem thanks everyone for listening um this is a poem about god god made my whole body and the way it moves and the way it shakes and jiggles and plops and god made my smile and the thousand tears that fall from my eyes god made the sun and the moon And the leaf held loosely in my godson's perfect little hand. And God made the summer breeze and the guitar Ron Isley crooned over. And God made the grass and the bugs and the dogs and the trees. And God made all of our bodies to make waste. And God made even the waste that lives in us. And God made the way the world spins and the way it will shake us right off if we don't act right. And God made the rivers which make it possible for us to drink. And God made the clouds which hold the rain. And God made the birds which fly and the wolves that howl. God made the folds of my brain and the thoughts that burrow there. God made my belly, my uterus and all the little eggs which might become children. God made the doubt that rests there like bubbling gas. God made the silence I wrap around myself some nights alone. God made the music we sing and the music we hate. God made the ears which help us stay balanced, help us to hear what people say behind our backs and in front of them. God made sweet potato pie and aunties and mamas who know how to add just enough nutmeg. God made my whole body. And God made my grandma and her gold tooth And God made my grandma and her curly wig. And God made my grandma I didn't know. And God made my grandpa who was a ghost and my grandpa who was a terror. God made fear and the way it slices us up thin and flimsy. God made the way a hand quivers before it strikes. God made pain. God made the blood which runs and keeps us running. God made an everlasting red.
1: Thank you. Ooh. Thank you, Ashley. The only person in the world who has a doper hat game than myself. No, there's probably a lot more people. Um. Okay, our final reader. Catherine Pierce, um, we've crossed paths a million times and each time has been a lot of fun. Um, You know what I think about you and your work. I tell you all the time, or when I have the opportunity to. um, So, so happy that you're here with us. Uh, Catherine Pierce is the Poet Laureate. So y'all just run in these states, huh? The Poet Laureate of Mississippi. (laughs) Y'all just running these states. Um, And the author of four books of poems, most recently, Danger Days. Uh, Saturnalia, 2020. uh, NEA Fellow, two-time pushcart prize winner, professor of English at Mississippi State, where she also co-directs the Creative Writing Program. Y'all, our final poet, take us home, sister. Katherine Pierce.
5: Thank you, Derek. Thank you, everybody, for I mean, this has been this has been such a total delight to get to just sit here and listen to all these poets whose work I admire so much. Um, This has been an incredible reading. Thank you. And I'm, I'm a little, I could have just listened to Ashley keep going. So I sort of forgot that I was still going to read. So, um, so thank you. I mean, this is, it's been wonderful. And Derek, thank you for running the show here. Um, And Derek is also an amazing poet. Everybody knows this, I hope, but he is also a phenomenal poet. So it's, it's an honor to be in this company tonight. Um, So I'm going to read, Four poems from Danger Days, which, as Derek mentioned, is my most recent book. This is a book that um, has a lot to do, it's particularly concerned with climate crisis, with the way that we are seeing the earth changing, you know, kind of daily right now and the ways that's impacting our day-to-day lives. Um, And a lot of those poems kind of come through the lens of sometimes living in Mississippi, sometimes the lens of being a mother, I have two sons, um, And sometimes just the lens of like living my life and watching the way that things are changing. So I thought I'd read a few poems from here. um, I'm going to start off with a poem that is about Mississippi or partly about Mississippi. Um, This is a poem that was taken from a news article that ran a few years ago. And the title of the poem is the, the headline from the article. And some of you may remember this. The headline and the title were, All 21 of Mississippi's beaches are closed because of toxic algae. And when I wrote this poem, I was thinking about how things are ending right now, but they're happening in these sort of incremental ways, and we're not necessarily thinking about them as the harbingers they really are. Um, But this poem also resonates kind of strangely now because it talks about masks, Um, but this was written pre-pandemic, so... It's like, it's a uh, contaminant masks, but contaminants from wildfires. So now we have all kinds of masks to be talking about. All right. It begins with the sweetest contaminant masks, houndstooth, hummingbird, and hibiscus. The tagline, breathe us in on Instagram. It begins with Instagram, the masks accented by skateboards and gold light palmettos, It begins with the sisters call from the car. So many trees down last night. In the back seat, the kids holler sing. The weatherman looks surprised by the tornado in Baltimore, in Stanhope, in Bucks County PA. Strange days, folks. It begins with a gone jetty, gone campsite, gone silo. It begins with did you see? With still again? It begins with, I could swear it wasn't always. It begins and keeps beginning. With a sidebar headline and a bummer of a vacation week. No ocean this year. Sorry, kids. But let's not make it worse with worry. We'll play more mini golf. We'll still have a good time. So um, I thought I would follow that up with the the title poem from this collection. Um, I think a lot of us on this call are probably people who grew up in the '80s, um, and so this <laughs> this is a poem that <laughs> speaks to that in some way. Um, it's called "Danger Days," and it has an epigraph that explains what that means. That's a, a weather term, and it's when the combination of heat and humidity makes it feel like 105 degrees Fahrenheit or hotter, and those are called danger days. In the movies from the 80s, children wore red pants and wild hair. They were always circling cul-de-sacs on banana seat bikes, always wandering after dark into woods full of hoots and clicks. What haunted me more than the ghoul girls or gloved slashers were the missing parents, not dead usually, just elsewhere. When the seance began innocently, When the doll's eyes popped open, the grown-ups were never around. They were off smoking pot. They were date nighting, affair having. They were office stuck, their kids set with house keys and frozen Salisbury steaks. Sometimes they were home, but sleeping, snug and unghosted. Wherever they were, they weren't watching. We don't live on a cul-de-sac, so my kids ride their bikes in a long, slow loop up our driveway and back. I'd like to send them rocketing down our tree-named streets, Oakwood, elmridge but the main road is Shadow Pines, and I've seen enough movies to know what that means. I think of those gone grown-ups a lot now, when the latest mass shooting alert pings, when ire is gilded again into policy. Tonight, the weatherman says, three danger days in the next week, the heat a mouth closed around our state. Outside, the humidity moans. Trees grow talons. My husband and I are up late again, watching the news while our children sleep. We're here in our house off shadow pines, here in the first part of a century bent toward flaming out. Dear children of the 80s, across the dark country, phones and laptops and TVs flicker. We're watching now, room after room after room. Dear children of the 80s, can you tell us now what was in the woods? Can you tell us if watching stopped anything from happening? I'm going to read two more. Um, One... This one is a little reprieve from um, (laughs) general crisis poems. Um, A few years ago, so one thing that I'm really interested interested in is space travel. And I've just always been, I I just, I'm fascinated by it. And a few years ago, um, the astronaut Scott Kelly came to Mississippi State where I teach and gave a talk. And he's the one who spent a full year in space. And um, he has a twin brother, Mark Kelly, Uh, who you may have heard of, and his brother had also been an astronaut, but did not go into space at this time. And when Scott Kelly came back to Earth, um, doctors and scientists analyzed you know, he and his brother and tested their DNA and tested all these various things and examined the different ways that a body had changed in space because they had a twin that they were sort of comparing it to. So it's really fascinating. So he was talking about his experiences in space. And as he was talking about The first time he entered space, I had this thought that was, wow, that sounds a lot like having a baby, which is a strange, like a strange reaction to have to that. But um, I went with it. So that's what this poem is about. It's called How Becoming a Mother is Like Space Travel. The astronaut told us he didn't look out the window for eight and a half minutes as the rocket launched him beyond our atmosphere. Terrifying things happened. Ground vanished, boosters exploded, day became night, and he did not look. He was focusing, he said, on his job. He was up there a long time. He learned to sleep suspended. He learned how the sunrise looks when you watch it every morning from the soft, dark mouth of space. Many things, he told us, were different than he'd once expected. There's no space ice cream, he said. That's a big hoax. His vision blurred. His body became a study. Blood, appetite, cognitive function. He took many pictures. All of them were beautiful. None of them showed what it was like to float. When the astronaut returned to Earth, more tests were run. Scientists discovered that 7% of his genes had changed in space. He left the planet as himself. He came back as himself, rearranged. And I'm gonna close with one more poem um, that also connects to my interest in space. (laughs) And this is another one that came out of a a newspaper article. Um, There was an article in the Washington Post a few years back and that this was the headline which is also the epigraph for the poem. The headline said, one of those clickbait headlines, a solar observatory in New Mexico is evacuated for a week and the FBI is investigating. No one will say why. And when I read that headline, I thought, oh, wow. And my first thought was, I really hope it's aliens. And... Then I had to kind of like sit with that reaction for a minute. Like, why did I, I mean, I really wanted it to be aliens. And so, and it's never aliens, you know, but like it would be great if sometimes it was. So this is a poem about that. It's called, Please Let It Be Aliens. And it opens with that epigraph. Let it be a silver disc, a foil zeppelin bleeping across the radar, a blot in front of the sun and then gone. Let the word intergalactic be paired at last with espionage let uniformed men stride briskly down long corridors let astronomers pace and calculate let there be phone calls and code words an envelope unsealed by trembling hands and let the light become strange the radio signals scramble the dogs whine skyward let there be a great silver crack down the sky of our surety and flames and fear born of wonder Oh, let it be aliens for once, instead of another threat from our own sad sack planet, a call from inside the house twist we all see coming. Let us believe, though it seems impossible, that someone still wants to claim us, someone still thinks our poison green world worth wanting. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Um, <laughs> it just makes me think of, I don't know, it could have been a comedian or an academic. I mean, what's what's really the difference, right? But but someone said, you know, just talking about human arrogance, right? Just our arrogance as human beings. Like, what makes us think we're worthwhile of being, of desiring to be seen, right? Like, they better not come here or they better come here, right? Like, they probably ain't even checking for us, right? Like, eh. There's better things to see out there than Earthlings. Um, thank you for that. Okay. That was wonderful. Y'all are amazing. Y'all are incredible. I miss you all. So can we do maybe 12 minutes of Q&A really quick? I know y'all have things to do, but I got some questions. Maybe one question per person. Y'all good? Okay. So uh, we'll just go ahead and go in order um, the way that y'all read. And so um, I'm going to ask pretty abstract questions. I'm pretty familiar with y'all's work. Um, It was great to, um, over the last few days, just tease over your collections, your latest collections, um, incredible collections that y'all should be super proud of. Hopefully uh, y'all have had the opportunity to, you know, get on the virtual road and, and, and have these poems shared with people because they deserve to, to be shared and, and, and read and felt. Um, so Richard, question for you. Um, one of the, the intersections that I see happen happening in your work and um, not just this collection, but just in your work generally is um. Which is something that I cling to. Um, it's kind of this idea of, of, of the speaker and, and love. And I think love manifests in many different ways. Love could be longing, love could be an actual lover, um, love could be some version of love loss, right? And there's the speaker and there's love in this kind of cradle. And Mississippi is always on the periphery or trying to jump in that cradle. And so I'm interested in the ways in which the threesome, right, uh, uh, the triangle, right, of the speaker love in Mississippi, how you see that functioning in your work. Yeah, I mean, I think that's
2: on point. You know, uh, like the, I think the way that, you know, a lot of us have, relationships to place, you know, is is so interesting. And, you know, like, I mean, like a lot of us are not from Mississippi. We end up in Mississippi. We are from Mississippi. We leave, we come back, all that. Like there's there's something not quite like quantifiable about this like place that I think really does try to percolate somehow into this like like threesome, right? And so, like it is, like this. I don't want to say like mysticism because that's not right. It's 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 more like, um, you know, it's 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 more like this 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 gravity, right? That like is pulling pulling people together in certain situations. And I think there's so much generational trauma in place in Mississippi that we often have to like reckon with the concept of love in order to make sense of that trauma, you know? And, and so whether it's with another or it's with yourself or it's with the, but like the city, like, I, I think that darkness of like, well has been Mississippi, needs to get sort of like cleansed through maybe an act of love or an act of losing love or something to that effect right so yeah i I never thought of it as like a threesome really but you know i i don't mind it um we can
1: work with that that's really cool man that's really cool um and that's something I'll continue to think about as it relates to your work. Uh, and thank you for allowing me to sit with your work. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. We should hear some of your poems. <laughs> Give you a minute. There'll be time. There'll right. <laughs> be time for that. Um, all right. So, Sandra. Yes. You mentioned, in, in your reading, you mentioned monument, right? Jackson, right? Was was Jefferson the monument or was there a, another monument? I...
3: Well, there's, uh, I didn't read any of the particular monuments, uh, memorials. I mean, the, the terms get used somewhat interchangeably depending on the type of edifice here in D.C. It kind of depends mm-hmm. on how, how you enter it, whether it's considered a monument or a memorial. But yes, the idea of monuments.
1: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, okay. Monument memorial. I like monument because I'm thinking of something that's physical, right? Um, you initially, with your reading, you, you you talked about themes of race and military. And so I'm, I'm interested in how your poems, particularly your poems about race, um, how they function as a kind of monument in your work, right? And what kind of monument would they represent?
3: Oh gosh. Um, that's, that's, I, that's tricky, which doesn't mean it's a bad question. It's a great question. I mean, you know, one thing that I said it, just in the genesis of this this momentary conversation, one thing that I realized is the very first poem that I wrote that made its way into this book is a golden shovel that uses the text of Gwendolyn Brooks' gay chaps at the bar and writes an extended consideration of commissioned versus non-commissioned officers. So in a weird way, that is both monument and memorial. That is both race and military right there. Um, And so, you know, so I, I guess what I would say is I think that one thing that in paying close attention to monuments, memorials that I've realized is how Artificial they are, how how constructed, how how edited, how you know, and and so I think that um, I guess what I would say is if I could create a monument or a memorial that would, a monument, it would be a monument that reckons with its own reckoning, that reckons with that that shows its seams and acknowledges its seams of construction rather than seeking to obscure them. Uh, You know, and that's that's the thing, like that's the thing with like with the Jefferson Memorial is that the FDR era bureaucrat who was editing Jefferson's quotes to suggest anti-fascist stances in the context of that coming 20th century American historical moment. Like there's just a constant, constant lensing of in trying to to remember something, redirecting it towards what we want that memory to do now. And I guess what I, what I would say in a, in a very meta way for a very meta question is I would, I would be most interested in a memorial or in a monument that observes its own process of construction and critiques it uh, in a way that it can last and be somehow part of the, the conversation around it. Uh, I will just mention as a quick closing that I'm, I'm interested to revisit. I know that the University of Virginia, which I referenced earlier and where I attended, has done a, a major reconstruction to its landscape with having built a, a memorial to um, the work of, of slaves and, and otherwise indentured African-American workers that made the university possible. And I'll be very interested to see that, to see what, what they've done with that narrative, whether it works or if it doesn't.
1: Y'all are ready for my abstract questions. Thank you for that. There's a lot to unpack there. And I don't know why, for some reason, when I think monument versus memorial, I forget about the sort of interchangeability. And for some reason, when I think monument, I think statue. I think that's because most of the monuments that I've encountered in my life had some sort of statue. And a lot of the memorials, uh, while still being physical or having physical attributes, didn't necessarily have an accompanying like grand statue and so that's interesting to talk about or to think about the two interchangeably and how they aren't the same right how they aren't connected Good stuff thank you um Adam question for you uh one of the things that I really loved about this book and and, and I have certain poets that I feel like um, it's almost like uh, Ashley mentioned Kanye and there's certain musicians that I feel like I age with. I thought I was aging with Drake and then he just stopped aging and he just stayed like the same. (laughs) Um, But there's certain musicians that I feel like I'm aging with. And I feel like in your work, I'm aging with you. I'm growing with you, right? Um, The kids and the, the getting older and all of that. And so I'm interested in how like, does this, there's, there's like a, an acute awareness of, of, of aging in your latest collection to make room for seat. I wonder, does the actual, you know, part of you that's aging, like the human part of you, does that somehow reflect the way that you, is there um, an acknowledgement that affects the way that you enter your work? I guess that's what I want to ask. Acknowledgement of your own, like, not the speaker, but your own aging as a writer, as a human, does that affect the way that you enter your work? These
4: are heavy questions, Derek. I like it. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it it does. Um, and, and I'm thinking a little bit about what Catherine was saying about sort of like the time we're living in also, and like having children and kind of thinking about the world we'll be passing on to them. Um, And yeah, I think the last book is like thinking a lot about mortality. But I think also trying not to sort of see mortality as like a bad thing necessarily. Um, You know, trying to kind of think about um, sort of the hope and possibility of what aging can look like and that it's not always a bad thing necessarily. Like I feel like I'm in my 40s and I've never been happier, which is kind of nice. I don't know what the 50s will be like. We'll see. But, but, But I think also, I mean, I guess to kind of tie it back to maybe the conversation about Mississippi too, I think, like, I think we have to sort of look for hope and like positive things like in places and in experiences. Um, and so I think a lot of the poems are trying to kind of wrestle with that and think about what it means to, to, to grow old. I don't know. I don't know if I'm even answering your question, Derek. It's such a good question. Um, I, I guess, I guess the poems. Hmm. Thinking about fatherhood, I think specifically, like, it's been kind of a way in for me, I think, to write about myself in a way that I haven't before. Um, and I think I was kind of hesitant to write about fatherhood or parenthood, because it kind of feels like sentimental a little bit, the same way that writing about one's own mortality does. Um, and so I think somehow the poems are a way of, of working through that. And yeah, trying to find some kind of hope through through that experience, whatever whatever that might be.
1: Thank you for that. And, and yeah, man, for me, it's, it's that fatherhood part two that I connect with. Um, not just the sort of awareness of one's mortality and aging, but that, that yeah, like you said, the world that that we'll leave behind for, you know, uh, our seeds, right? Um, that always feels like this cliche, like masculine, like move, like my seed, like what are the world I'm gonna leave behind for my seed. Uh, <laughs> um. All right, Ashley, question for you. Two of the things that I saw amongst a million other things that you do so brilliantly in your collection, like I might sleep with this joint underneath my pillow tonight. I'm, I'm having so much fun with it, even when that fun evokes tears and evokes deep thinking and critical thinking and self-reflection. Um, but there are these two kind of poles that feel initially like poles, like opposites but you bring them together and these two poles are the body and music and specifically like music mean um, sort of popular illusions, right? You mentioned the Isley Brothers, Kanye West Can you talk about or actively think about or let us be on a fly on the wall when you're kind of merging the body, right? And music, how do those? How does that pairing work for you and your work?
0: Uh, thank you for that question. These are very PhD questions, Derek. <laughs> it's really giving a scholar. Y'all are things. passing. Y'all are all getting... Put it today it's gonna happen I wish that it were that simple um so before I answer this question I have to say Catherine how dare you end that last poem that way wow um, I've been holding that since that last line was read I was like mm, Catherine <laughs> and Derek um it's funny that you say you would sleep with my book under your pillow which thank you for even wanting to do that funny enough, a friend of mine told me that a friend of hers literally did that with my first collection. And I mean, it's a huge honor. Um, she told me that this person, um, like felt more possible because of my work. And that's why it was under the pillow every single night. So honestly, if I never win anything else, like that is a huge prize, um, that someone would find a home in my words. So, um, Anyway, thank you to that person. They know who they are. I really appreciate you existing so, so much. Um, So to the question, um, I don't know that I think of these two things as polls because for me, um, I don't know, everything is fair game. Like I don't really separate, for example, I don't separate past, present, future. It's all the same. I don't separate, you know, um, academia from non academia, because neither is real. Nothing, you know, everything is everything, to quote Lauren Hill. Look, I'm doing it now, bringing music in. Um, so when I reference Ron Isley in that poem about God and about my body, that's just na- natural and normal to me. You know, I'm thinking about God. And so I'm thinking about the sound of Ron Isley's voice, I'm thinking about the guitar. Um, in those songs, because that is also God, which is also, you know, this leaf in the hand of my godson, which is also the way that, you know, a hat tilts in that perfect way, etc. Um, so that's kind of how it happens. Um, it's, it's not really a conscious, I am now going to bring these two things together. The things are already together because they're already inside of me. I'm just putting me on the page or whatever it is that the spirit has given is going on the page. And usually what is given is pre-mixed. It's, you know, congealed in its perfect package already.
1: That that that's wonderful. And, you know, on a on a very simple level, just the body and movement being a reaction to music, right? And how important that is uh, as a uh, a source of catharsis and liberation, right? To dance. Beautiful. All right, Catherine, you shall take us home one last time. Um, There's a poem that you did not read. And if I am wrong, then please forgive me. Um, It's on page 22. Uh, Here in the future, we are always watching ourselves, right? Right. And please tell me there's a poem in uh, your previous collection, Tornado, um, where there's someone, is there someone stuck in a bar? It's like my favorite poem.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Relevant Details. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Relevant Details. The speaker is like, I, I went to this bar once. So I forget what it was called. Maybe it was called this or maybe it was called this. Is that the one that you're talking about? That's
1: it. That's like one of my favorite poems, like Thank written you. by anyone. Um, I was going to go hold the book right before this happened, but I had just thought of the idea. So I didn't have time to grab it. Um, I want you to talk about time, you know, and I want you to talk about I like that Ashley got like real like string theory with us. Like, yo, there is no time you know, um, that's something I'm interested in, even though I fail at it, you know, I didn't go to school for science, but it's a concept that I'm interested in, right, and you're talking about aliens, right, kidding, I'm just kidding. yeah, I'm serious, nope, kidding, I, right, so it seems to be something that you're really interested in, um, in relationship to time and space, and can you talk about, um, is that sort of a natural thing, is that, something that just is inherent or is that a curious thing like how does that manifest for you in your work
5: yeah that's a great question I mean these have all been great questions it's been so interesting to hear people's responses so thank you for these questions um yeah time is I think absolutely something that I think about a lot and for me for me it's often connected to memory and to the accuracy or the inaccuracy of what we remember, um, and the ways we might filter memory through different lenses, depending on where we are in our lives or what we've experienced. Um, so the, the story that I, that I always tell is like, I have memories that like, I, I have this memory of going to Niagara Falls when I was a kid with my family. And we rode the Maid of the Mist, which is that ferry that like goes up to the falls and gets very close to the falls. And in my memory, we went behind the falls. The boat goes behind the falls. And I told my husband that when he and I were going to go there a million years ago. And he was like, I don't think it goes behind the falls. He was like, I mean, I haven't been, but I don't know how it could. And I was like, oh no, it does. It's amazing. It goes behind the falls. And he said, Okay. And then I, I said, I'll prove it. And I called up my family. Talked to my parents and I said, hey, what happened on the Maid of the mist? And my parents both said, oh, well, we went up and went behind the falls and we did that. And then I called my sister and I said, Sarah, what happened on the Maid of the mist? And she said, well, we go behind the falls. Anyway, the, the long story short is that the boat does not go behind the falls and the boat never went behind the falls. It never has. It's impossible for it to go behind the falls. It can't fit. Um, I've researched this because I remember going behind the falls, but it does not go behind the falls and it never has, but I remember it. I mean, I absolutely remember it. So yeah, I see Sandra in the chat saying there's a walk that takes you behind the falls. Yes, but I know that I remember the walk and I remember it as distinct from the boat that went behind the falls, which is not a thing that happened, but I swear to you that it did. So so I, I'm really interested in that, in our failures of memory that feel so real. <laughs> aliens, Yes, Ashley, it's exactly right. See, that's how it all comes together It's the aliens. Um, but I'm interested in that. I'm really interested in the ways that our memories that feels so concrete are are not necessarily concrete or not necessarily reliable. And I think the poems make a space for that fluidity. Um, They, they sort of allow for time, kind of like Ashley was saying to be all things at once, you know, for past and present and future to all kind of interweave and overlap and kind of like a palimpsest effect, you know, like you can read the other parts through it. Um, So I really love that about poems. And I think that's also in the relevant details poem that you mentioned, Derek, that's, I think what I was kind of trying to play with in that poem was saying, okay, well, I forget what this thing actually was called. Maybe it was this, or maybe it was that. And maybe I did this thing there, or maybe I did that thing there, but Hey, maybe I want to have this whole mishmash of memories because that way I'm not limiting myself. You know, like if there's a line, it's like, if the way forward is an unbending line, let the way back be Quicksilver beating and reswirling. And so you can have all sorts of lives at one time if you can kind of look backward and allow for that fluidity. Um, so that's something that I'm really interested in exploring in poems. And I think poems are kind of the perfect place to kind of dive into those explorations. So, yeah, thank you. That's a great question. I love thinking about that.
1: Well, y'all, y'all are beautiful. Um... Thank y'all so much for spending this time collectively with us, with me, with the book festival, and um, I hope to see you all soon um, in person. That would be amazing. Um, Reading was incredible. Um, Conversation was incredible. So thank y'all. I'm excited. I might try to write some tonight
3: can we get a simultaneous unmute to just hear the collective voices you've been even you've been holding down the fort with your clapping but you know
1: <laughs> that's right that's right yeah so unmute you. <laughs> <laughs> thank this was you great. so
3: much
5: thank you everybody yes thank you
0: everybody it Wonderful. was amazing it was so great to hear you all oh what was the name of our, our um our resonant se-
1: verse Resonant right. verse there you go that's our crew forever so a resident
3: verse.
1: <laughs> Let it not be forgotten.
3: Thank you, Mississippi Book Festival.
0: Thank, thank you. That's great. Right. I'm Rogers Dales, thank you. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party.